Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell Technologies solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash Tech. Support for this podcast comes from Stella Artois. This summer, enjoy the life Artois. You can experience it anywhere from your patio to the tidal basin. All it takes is being present, being there with the people you love and a cold Stella Artois in hand. Wherever you are, you're never too far from the life Artois. Stella Artois. Please enjoy responsibly. I'm Kevin H. I'm Kevin C. And I'm a Seth. And this is the Dark Dark Windows Windows Podcast. So just a disclaimer, we are going to talk about some things that people might not be super comfortable with. We're going to use some language language that people are not going to be super comfortable with. That's adult language. Expletives. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Or not. That's cool, too. What's going on, everybody? Howdy do, internet. What's going on? We are back again. Um, We're going to... Just talk about real quick. Um, wanted to thank everybody over at Studio Headphones. So if you go to studio.com and uh, you find a awesome pair of headphones, which you will. Oh, you mean like the sweet ones that you fine gentlemen have? Yeah, buddy. We got mm. the we have the Regent, which are um, auxiliary or Bluetooth. They are awesome. They're super comfy. The uh, so like for example, if you have uh, if you have have them connected like Bluetooth to your phone and you plug them into your computer to listen to something real quick and you unplug them from your computer, the, the lag time from auxiliary to Bluetooth is like nothing. It's just in your back on Bluetooth. It's super cool. Um, but once you throw them in your cart and you go to checkout, if you put in dark windows at checkout, you get 15% off one, five percent off. Dude, that's pretty fantastic. Actually. That is awesome. You know, 15% doesn't sound like a lot, but when they're, you know, the headphones are like a hundred bucks, it knocks off quite a bit. Well, yeah. And you're also paying for quality, which I can clearly tell from sitting over here because, Hey, do both your little earmuffs work? Yep. Hmm. And you've tried these out before and you liked them. Yeah. One day I'm going to get a pair that actually where my earmuffs will work. But until the cool, then, I'm gonna keep staring lovingly at yours. The cool thing with the, with the Regent that we have is the uh, the little like outside cap. You can replace that with different colors, um, but they've got 
the Regent, which is what we have, which are the over the ear. They have a couple of different um, Bluetooth variants where they go in and they have like the little remote cable. Like my, my wife has a pair of those and she loves them. Uh, a listener of the show, Nick, has those ones that are the Bluetooth ones that go in the ear and yeah. have a sweet little remote to them. Which yeah, and the, the, I'm not gonna the, lie, it was awesome. He has ones that have like the hook to like keep them over your ear, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, I was thinking about, I'm like, man, if I my obviously my next phone and all other stuff when I get super high tech with all this stuff, I'm gonna pick up a pair of those. Yep. And Luckily, they, I know a sweet promo code. And they also have a completely Bluetooth earbud model, which is probably gonna be my next big purchase because they look awesome. Looks so cool. Um, but speaking of cool stuff, hmm. there's a cool stuff here, and his name is Seth, and he's got stuff to talk about. Me? Cool? Yep. Bruh, come on. So. You're cool as shit. Sometimes. What he's referring to is, if you're into miniature painting, or you know somebody who is into the miniature painting world, such as myself, I got a cool little tool for you. The tool is the hobby holder. Now. I know I've said it before, and I keep saying it again and again, folks, and I'm just waiting for that time for somebody to actually listen to me and be like, hey, he was right. The hobby holder is a two-in-one little tool where it has a handle and a rotating base that clips in, and it allows you to be able to get every little angle, piece, and part to your miniature, and it's amazing because if you're a miniature painter like myself, you have difficulty trying to get these odd angles of said miniature, so you're like, oh, man, I'm just messing it up all over here and need i, I gotta figure out something to do well you get this little guy and it will help you out every step of the way and you will literally see your ability and what you're able to do jump leaps and bounds now once you go there you figure out other cool stuff that you like you can actually put in the promo code broadstone folks spelled it once spelled it twice spelled it however many dang times i've been on the show <laughs> Do I need to keep doing it? Yep. I think you should. Uh, every time when I think I'm gone, they pull me right back in, guys. Take a deep breath in through the nose. That sweet promo code is a Broadstone. It's B-R-O-A-D-S-T-O-N-E. You put that at a checkout, and guess what, folks? You save yourself some money. And that money is $2 off each. Each hobby holder. Not your total. Not the total. Each. That's Mr. Kevin H, Mr. Kevin C, and our lovely guest. Quote, unquote, lovely. <laughs> no quotes. All, all love. Everybody saves uh, money on their hobby holder, each individual hobby holder, which is pretty fantastic. Also, check them out because they have amazing other things, which I am personally going to be ordering many more sweet things from them here in the future. All right. So, uh, let's get on with the show. So, this Boy. week, what are we... Uh, what are we talking about? about? Yeah, what are we talking about this week? Is get two uh, two crazy guys, right? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little spoiler alert out here right now. It's gonna be this week and next week because Ooh. there is another dose parter. There's no way two that I could folks? no way or, I could have done this, this in gonna one. Be a three parter because you have a lot of dude a I'm lot of notes bare minimum too. Um, because uh, after listening to a bunch of shows be done by uh, done by our. Lovely, wonderful friend, Justin Rimmel, who makes me angry with the amount of research that he does. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that this time. <laughs> so so this week, next week, and God only knows how many episodes this one's going to be. We are going to talk about the North Hollywood bank shootout. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, it's going to get deep. Yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of people have actually heard about this. Um, 
Some haven't. Some haven't, exactly. Um, but for me, this is kind of when I was, this happened when I was a kid. I was like nine years old when this happened. And this was kind of what got me into that first, my kind of first taste of true crime of and true everything. True crime and seeing something like this happen because, yeah, you know, I was, what? Oh, geez. Six years old when the whole thing with OJ Simpson happened. This was 97. So I was I was not quite ten yet when it happened. Wow, I was thirteen. So this was kind of my first like you do the math, folks. I was born in eighty four. I can't count. <laughs> this this was my first uh, introduction to like a big national like crime story. And... Yeah, that there was something outside of Vermont and Vermont news because right. you knew there was other things going on. But this is the first time like I remember being scared and like what is happening right now. Yeah, it was it was it was insane. Um, I'll just say I was seventeen. And then high you were, we get it. You're old. You were able to drink. You were able to drive. No, you no. were partying like it was 1999. Actually, I wasn't it was 17. only 1997. <laughs> I was I was literally like days away from turning 17. I was days. Yeah, this, this happened on the 28th. I was days. Yeah, you were yeah less than a week from. Yeah. I was five days. And he's gonna party like it's 1997. Shit, that doesn't work good. Mm-mm. Um, but we're gonna. This first episode, we're going to kind of start out talking. Um, I went into a lot of detail on the backgrounds of these guys. Which is awesome, because a lot of times people just talk like a little snippet of them, and then they then jump into like what happened rather than... Right. They they focus more on the event itself. They don't focus on the lead up to it and why it happened. Exactly. Um, okay, so we're going to start off with Larry Phillips Jr., our lead dirtbag scumbag asshole whatever you want to call him i like lead dirtbag that's actually pretty good because we'll we'll, we'll go with lead dirtbag then the one who orchestrated it all yeah yeah he was the the ringleader of this shit circus all right yeah let's start with him he sounds like a douche so larry phillips jr was actually born larry eugene warfel and he would actually use this name until he was 17 years old warfel 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 he was born uh, September 20th, 1970, in Los Angeles, California. He was born to his mother, Barbara Allen, and his father, Daniel Ira Warfel. That is a mouthful of a name. Yeah. Um, we're going to kind of... It, it's not going to seem like an important detail, because it really isn't, but it kind of gives you a little bit of a background into the kind of people that raised this guy. Uh, they gave their home address as 1332 South Bond Street, in Los Angeles. Okay. Seems like a normal address. The thing is that it actually doesn't exist. Wait, um, what? Yeah, I, I, I looked into it and uh, Bond Street, where that like address number would have been, would okay. actually be in the parking lot of the Staples Center, like where the uh, Clippers and the Lakers play. Wait, wait, wait. They gave the address of a parking lot. Yep. Blues Brothers style. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> In a like a dumb roundabout way, that's actually when you think about it, it's kind of like But I mean I, I did look I did some like Google Maps stuff for it. If the, you were to extend Bond Street through Okay. Like where the Staples Center parking lot is it, the address would have actually been like right in like in the parking lot if it had existed. But I mean the Staples Center's been there for quite a while, so I don't think that that uh the house you know, was they, like knocked down or something. Really, it was like a tent, like those little weird, like little uh, 
what is it pop-up tent things they yeah. just park there and they're living there like the people that you get like at a walmart or like they home tar- depot home depot yeah they literally just they're like oh we're living here now for a couple days yep. um so his father daniel listed his occupation as uh, as a truck driver from colorado and his mother barbara said that she was from utah okay doesn't doesn't list a occupation or anything she could have been a stay-at-home mom yeah. or you know a couple a couple odd jobs here or there right um all of this is a lie the occupations, the address, the names, everything is a lie except for the state, the states where they said they come from. Wait. Why? Uh, the reason for all the lies and stuff is the the parents were actually covering the fact that they were on the run from the law. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, right. Uh, Larry Sr. was arrested in his hometown of Denver, Colorado for desecrating a grave in 1967. Fun Who does guy. That? Yeah, right. It was, uh, I'd read some stuff where it was on, a, it was on, a, a, like a dare and he was going to like dig up a grave and take the head off a corpse. Okay. It, no offense. If you guys dare me to do that, I would look at you and be like, you guys are idiots. Yeah, if you want me to do you. anything, <laughs> I will lay on the grave. I will drink a beer with him. I'll pour one out for the homies that ain't here now, Mo. Yeah. I'm not going to like dig but, it up. And we and did that, have, we did have a guy that did that here, uh, 10 years ago up in Milton. But still, though, it doesn't make any sense. Well, except he dug it up and he used the skull as a bong because he was a freak. People yeah. Stupid. Well, anyway, he was uh, he was sent to the state reformatory in uh, Buena Vista and uh, he was paroled in 1968. And shortly after he was paroled, he decided, hey, I got a great idea. I'm going to rob me a gas station. Well, because, you know, when you get out of jail or, you know, you're freshly paroled, you need money. You need money to get home. You need some food. Yeah. Maybe. It's, it's that so circle. So gas station's got everything you need. Yeah. It's the circle of life of a scumbag. Like yeah. Like we said before. Like, off air. <laughs> the circle of life. To be a douchebag. <laughs> uh, okay. So, with with all that being said, with the, the lies and misleading that his parents did, it it's all very important because it kind of shows you where he got his start of being like a pathological liar and a criminal. and Well, yeah, he's got two great, I hate to say, use the word great, but he has two great resources on how to lie, cheat, and steal right. in his own parents. Eddie Guerrero style. No, Eddie Guerrero was awesome, <laughs> and he will forever be awesome. This guy should never have his name anywhere no. near Eddie Guerrero. The uh, the other thing that his, his father kind of like hammered into him from a very young age is... Uh, Treat the police as an enemy. Don't don't ever approach the police if you're in trouble. If you need help, don't ever call the police. Handle it yourself. They are your enemy. So literally breeding this at this time, poor innocent child. Probably they were, let's be honest, probably abusive towards him. Probably were neglecting him. But instilling the fact of cops are enemies. Everyone's out to get you. Lie, cheat, steal, win. Right. I didn't see anything about like physical abuse in his past, but I know his, his dad was just like not there for most well, of it. Cause... But I'm not like physical abuse. I mean, just like overall abuse. Yeah. Like, you know, verbal abuse, probably neglect. There's other forms of abuse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so from October 27th of 1969 to September 27th of 1976, the, the Phillips family just kind of cuts contact with everybody and drop completely off the radar. Uh, they're, the mom is no longer in contact with her family. Uh, Larry Sr. is no longer in contact with his family. They just vanished into. So the... essentially, just like cut all, like you're saying, cut all ties. 
yep. go off the grid of an incent. Oh boy. Yeah. This poor kid never had a chance. No, no. Um, she remarried a man named <laughs> Alton O'Neill. Um, this part's not real important to Larry's history, but I found it fascinating. Um, Again, Alt, uh, the, the same guy, this uh, Alton O'Neill, same kind of story as, uh, as Larry Sr., where he wasn't what he said, he wasn't what he claimed to be. Um, so on the dirtbag level, he's still in the middle of the road. Not really super high, but not really low. See, I don't know if he's even really a dirtbag or if he just is kind of more he's, of an idiot. He's kind of an oddball. Yeah. Hmm. Um, all right, he is oddball then. By all accounts, he was an outgoing, personable guy. Um, the weird thing is he would tell people, some people, he would tell some people that he was a doctor. Then he doctor. would tell, doctor, doctor. Then he would tell some other people that he was a pilot and a sniper that worked for the CIA. Well, yeah. Cause you know, that makes sense. I don't know if you're the, if you're doing both at the same time, like flying a plane and shooting people uh, with a rifle. Cause that'd be pretty fucking rad. I want that o- job. Yeah, dude, that's medal of honor and call of duty. <laughs> Kevin's trying at this to guy. figure out the logistics of how you do that. <laughs> And of course, he's smoking a cigarette while he's trying to shoot people out of an airplane that he's flying. Well, you can do that because you could have it hanging out of your mouth. Well, if unless you're too high up and you have an oxygen mask. No, no, you're not going to be that high up. But you could do it. You just have to have the window open. You have to keep it real steady, or you drive it with your knee. How do you shoot innocent women and children? Just don't lead them as much. <laughs> mm. Wow. Um, Okay, so back to uh, back to Alton O'Neill. Um, so September eighteenth of nineteen eighty eight, uh, as Mister O'Neill was approaching his apartment on North Burlington Avenue in Echo Park, an unknown person stepped from the shadows and shot him in the head at a distance of about ten to twenty feet with a twelve gauge shotgun. Damn, killing him instantly. It's like some sort of mob hit. Yeah, like maybe. Maybe he wasn't bullshit. Maybe he did work for the CIA and he got out and this is like... I don't think they would pull that kind of thing. I think they would do something oh yeah? else. Yeah. No, that's way that's way <laughs> too up front. I think this was a drug deal gone wrong or something. Oh, where was it again? Uh, North Burlington Avenue in Echo Park, which I believe is in LA. Somewhere in that neighborhood. So we're going to go back a little bit in time because th- this was all after Larry had, had left the picture. He'd moved out of his mom's house and then when this guy was killed... Um, so back in 1976, uh, Larry Jr. and his mom were living in Kiowa, Colorado, and uh, Daddy Larry stopped by to celebrate his son's birthday. Yay! Yeah, I believe it was his seventh birthday. Try to be less dirtbaggy. Yeah, you know, maybe just stop by and make an effort to be like, hey, kid, how you doing? Here's a, here's a ball glove or something. Um, I play soccer, Dad. <laughs> yeah, you can still use a baseball glove. You're fine. Uh, so as he's sitting there... Uh, I'm assuming eating cake with a funny little hat on the uh, a bunch of FBI agents kick the door down and arrest his ass in front of his son. Happy further, birthday. Say goodbye to your dad. Yeah. I, and I think this kind of further put that. Uh, uh, don't trust the police thing into his head when you see your dad get arrested in front of you when you're a kid. Oh, it makes total sense. I, I wonder mean, if someone in the family member or a friend or someone who was at the party just was like, eh, you know what? I don't like this guy. Yeah. There's a rumor that that, uh, Barb herself actually called the FBI and said, hey, uh, Larry's going to be here for the birthday party. Maybe to, you know, get him out of her son's life permanently so she could try to have him, you know, let him have a normal childhood. 
Yeah, because I also wonder if maybe he was going there randomly to show up and be like, I want my son, like, he's going to come live with me that, now. That's another possibility, yeah. And maybe she did do it. Yeah, maybe she had, like, a feeling like, he's he's going to come try to take my son away. I got to get rid of this asshole. And, yeah. like... Um, There's a wide variety of different possibilities. The only one that know are the, the person the, who called. The FBI, yeah, exactly. The people that called and the FBI agents that kicked the door down. But, I mean... Well, hold on. Before you continue... Yeah, well, yeah. what if there's a more logical explanation? Like? Like they were actually surveilling him. That's true. That's possible, too. That's not a logical. It's just another option. Logical is probably... But he, he definitely had warrants out for his arrest. Um, yeah, but if she was a pathological liar as well, why would she call the cops? Because if he wanted to take the son away, it's there have been reports where it's happened before. It's not just in TV movies. Yeah. Where yeah. if somebody's a dirtbag and they're like, no, he, I want my son. I want my kid. This is my kid, too. You don't get to have him. If it was a bad separation, then what will happen is is that she could call him and be like, hey, he's coming to my house. I don't – he's not invited. They could have had a huge fight and he could have been – she could have told him, no, you're not invited, not invited. And then he just shows up. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's also possible that they did have him under surveillance. We we will never know. No. Um, But, I mean – even even as like growing up as a kid from the like your earliest memory being like your dad saying don't trust the police don't trust authority figures because they're not good people and then on your like seventh or eighth birthday whenever it was to have a bunch of dudes kick your fucking front door in and come in and arrest your dad put him face down on the floor in front of you and handcuff him that would just that would drill it into your head to just go, no, these people are these these are not good people. They're you know my dad's a good guy. These are the bad guys. Because, you know, when you're a kid, your dad is a fucking superhero, you know? No, oh, yeah. A lot of times, you know, everyone feels that way about their parents. Yeah. As long as it's in a good, like, stable home. A lot of times you think your parents are one of the best people in your world. Absolutely. Um so we're gonna pick back up uh in 1986, uh, Barb and Larry Jr. moved back to L.A. Um, she did this trying to maybe offer her son a better life. You know, growing up and, you know, let him maybe, you know, again, maybe have a normal childhood, you know. Larry actually dropped out of high school in ninth grade. And uh, this is when he discovered his uh, his lifelong passion of uh, competitive bodybuilding. And he did something that I thought was weird. Um, actually, you you worked in a gym, right? Yeah. Okay. Anybody ever buy a five year gym membership? Generally, there are a couple months, a year, couple years. I think at most we did was three years, which still seems weird to me. Yeah. Well, a lot of times, if you buy month to month, it's like a set price, right? And then over that year, it actually is more expensive. But if you buy it in bulk, like you so you pay. $100 a year, if you're buying it for five years, it may have been like $400. Hmm, okay. So like you, like we would do run those kind of deals where you buy a couple months, your third month is free and it will equal out in the end, but you're able to like essentially hook them in, like buying in bulk. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're paying this huge, this what seems like a huge price up front, but then when it gets time to like overall, it actually spreads itself out because you don't have to keep paying. It just is already there. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. Um, the part that I thought was even weirder for that was, I mean, it was the the Gold's Gym in Venice Beach, which I guess is like the 
Yeah, that's Gold's uh, Gym. It's like the original or something. A like lot that. of pro bodybuilders, Arnold Schwarzenegger used to work out there. Lou Ferrigno. Pro uh, wrestlers came out of there too, like uh, Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, Sting. Yeah. Uh, Ultimate Warrior. All those guys. You know, they would. That was their spot. Um, the thing that I thought was kind of even weirder was the fact that he lived two hours away from there. So he would drive two hours to go to the gym, work out, go home another two hours back. Well, we're going to get noticed and be you know, a part of everybody else. Yeah, if he's looking for that connection with hopefully finding these big names and a lot of big pro bodybuilders are working out there. He's going to, I'd be willing to travel there to actually maybe get to see somebody who is a pro bodybuilder at the time. I think it was like maybe like a status thing for him. Like, oh, I go to Gold's Gym in Venice. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's an instant like trump card. Yeah. Oh, you work out at Mama Pops down the road? Bro, check this out. I'm from, I go to Venice. Yeah. People come and watch me work out. Yeah. Because he was that kind of guy where he, he was, he was a douche for lack of a better term. Um, so after, after years and years of trying to get into like the, get onto like the, competitive bodybuilding circuits and stuff like that. He realized that he just wasn't cut out for it and let his gym membership lapse. But the most important thing that happened to him while he was at, at gold's gym in Venice beach is this is where he would meet his longtime friend and future BFF in crime. Yeah. Future uh, partner in crime there. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, Wait, BCF best crime friend. Yes. Right? Slaps. That works. Woo! We're putting that on a shirt. <laughs> um, this is where he would meet Emil Matasarano. Whoa. Yeah. That, okay. I'm, full disclosure, every time I put this guy's name in for any part of this, I had to cut and paste because I could not figure out how to put all the weird little... Uh, 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 the little accents? Yeah, they're like chopped off little U's over all the A's, and I don't know how to do that on my computer. But uh, yeah, the FN key. Yeah, but I don't know which ones are which for that. But um, that's not even his full name either. No, no, his full name is even crazier. Um, but uh, Phillips found Matasarano because he sought out people that he could uh, he could manipulate into. He basically would like try to brainwash people into doing what he wanted them to do. He would ter- try to turn people into tools. So, so he's a mental warfare kind of a douchebag. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, even like later on in life, like his half brother would go on to say like, yeah, Larry was really, really good at doing stuff like that to people. Like he could just, you know, sit down and talk to you and he would, he would sit there and talk to you, but he wasn't listening. He was figuring you out as he's talking to you. So he's pretty much getting a, uh, character profile of who you are, how you are, know your pros, know your cons and essentially be a sponge to whatever you talk about he'll agree to it and probably come at you in a sense of uh i don't know not low self-esteem but somebody that's on the same level as you no matter where you at right and then slowly put the little the little talons into you and a little more a little more tighten up a little more until he has his complete hooks in you he, he and was you a, don't even know what's happening until he was a politician late. car salesman yep he uh but yeah he would he would just manipulate the crap out of everybody that that he would come into contact with where he's like I can use you to do this for me. Those people are the most dangerous type of people in my honest opinion because they're Absolutely. the type that are like a cult leader or could start up their own religion, could go into their shrewd businessmen. Yep. Like those types of people aren't 
I don't want to say it, but they, they're at a whole nother level than other people because they are the type that looks at everybody as a piece of the puzzle or as a on the game board and like, I can adjust you, I can do this, I can put this here. Mm-hmm. So he's constantly adjusting and changing his plans for what he wants you know what he would have been good at if he wasn't scumbag hmm. he would have been a great like interrogator for like the cia or something where he wouldn't have had to do anything he could have just sat there and talked to you and been like oh hey i know everything about you now you know like he would figure out people's ticks and shit like that like where he could tell they were actually thinking about something or if they were lying about it he was he was good at what he was doing uh so november 3rd of 1990 uh, Larry got his real estate license uh, with uh, the way they did it was a little weird. They actually issued him his license before he passed his third and final exam and before he passed his background check. He probably pulled some strings and, you know, made it seem like, oh, I'm worth it. Don't worry. But it was all this was also during uh, like a big like real estate boom in L.A. Oh, so these companies would have been like, we need somebody licensed to go out and sell this place. We know you are not, quote unquote, qualified to do it. But here's your license. Go sell that place. We'll give you your commission. But he uh, he kind of had some stuff that come back to bite him in the ass when it came to the uh, the background check because in 1989 he got arrested for shoplifting uh, like 400 to 500 dollars worth of suits from uh, from Sears. Hmm. So you know he's maybe setting himself up to be like, oh hey, well shit, I got a got a job interview and I don't have any money and I need a suit. And you walk, if if he has a suit or something that looks like a suit, walks in like a briefcase or a bag of, from Sears. If Depending if it's a part of a mall, he could have a bag from mm-hmm. another store. Walk in, you take one or two, walk around the corner, no one's paying attention, take a couple more. Because I doubt that they had super high level like security cameras and security. Yeah. He probably just got pinched because somebody's like, what the hell are you doing? What's this giant man stealing suits for? Yeah, this dude that's <laughs> like the size of a house. Yeah, because that's, that's the other thing you have to like remember going forward with these guys is they were both bodybuilders. They were big fucking dudes. Which, you're, if you're that big, spend the money, get it tailored to you. Because let's be honest, Lou Ferrigno's cool, but you're never going to be as cool as Lou Ferrigno when he's ripping through shirts, when he's hulking out. And... My, my first thought was that was Chris Farley and Tommy Boy. <laughs> Oh, that guy in a little coat, except he's not fat. He's just got shoulders the size of a fucking car. Um, so this little excursion to Sears uh, ended up costing him three days in jail and twelve months of probation. Yeah, that's not too you know, bad. It's shoplifting. It's not like he, you know, was in there eating babies or something. Um, but you have to start somewhere. This is true. So, and this is kind of where he starts, and then he escalates very quickly. Uh, after having his real estate license suspended because he obviously failed the background check, he felt like it was uh, it was pretty much that was it for him work uh, having a normal work life. He's like, well, I tried, so I'm just gonna go do what I know how to do, what I learned to do from my dad. I'm gonna go be a crook. Well, why not? You know, if it works out for your parents, you know, you always have that to fall back on. And the one thing he probably thought he was good at and he failed at automatically oh poor me oh woe is me i'm the victim here so screw everybody yep but he doesn't go the same way that his dad does he kind of crosses the streams of what he was doing and turning into a criminal he decides to set up his own business his own quote unquote finger quotes real estate business all right so it was not exactly legitimate he was uh he was still making money though because he would find uh, empty properties and he would put up a sign for his company uh capital west investments strong solid name sounds right. 
sounds, legit. Sounds legit. Exactly. It doesn't sound like, you know, uh, you know, Uncle Joe's uh, house selling or whatever. It's It sounds legit. Empty cup house sales. <laughs> so he would uh, he would find these empty buildings or even sometimes he would take other real estate agents signs down and put his up there. I love that kind of shenanigans. Like, hey, I'm selling this house. Get out of here. But what he would do is, is he didn't claim to be selling the house. He was renting it. So he would go, oh, he would get a call and be like, oh, so you're interested in, uh, in the property at yada yada Elm Street. Cool. Well, I'll come down and talk to you. You have your uh, your first month, your last month, and your security deposit ready. We'll get you right in there. So he did this a couple of times where he would take these people's money for their their deposit to move into the place where I mean I don't know around here you're looking at oh, probably boy. I mean a thousand bucks whatever for everything like that out in LA you're probably looking at like three to four grand something like that to get moved into a place oh yeah I, I, I don't even know so I mean he's he's done this a couple of times and he's he's gotten away with a decent little chunk of money uh, but after a few times of screwing people over they finally get a hold of the police and uh the police, you know, they get their stuff together and they're like, okay, we're going to raid this uh, this Capital West Investments company. We're going to arrest the guy that's doing all this stuff. So they get there and uh building is completely empty. Larry is nowhere to be found. Well, yeah, I, would, <laughs> I probably, I bet that he would probably just bounce it around. Like the building he did use, it was just a front of like random. Exactly. Like you have one table, one chair, a couple nondescript pictures that you could find. Uh, a you computer. Know. Yeah, that really didn't even work. You just sit there. Computers. <laughs> Clicking. Enhance. Enhance. Um, so completely and utterly unfazed by the near miss, he uh, he sets up shop again. Except this time the cops are on to his shenanigans and they're like, you know, they, they finally did end up, uh, end up busting him. Um, that part is really not super important because it gets into like court dates and yada yada back and forth with lawyers and all that shit um there is a rumor that said that he did have a pretty heavy duty fine to pay off for a lawsuit somewhere in the area of about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars yeah that's a lot of money yeah especially back in the late 80s early 90s that was a huge amount of money so now we're gonna we're gonna go into emil mata serrano um and then at the end of talking about him, we're going to kind of get back into more about how they got together and what happened after they did. So Emil Matasarano was born Decibal Stefan Emilian Matasarano. That is the longest name <laughs> I've ever heard today. Yeah. And of course, I'm looking at it the first time and go, Decabal? What the fuck kind of name is Decabal? And I was like, oh, wait, no, it's it's pronounced Decibal, so... But he was born uh, July 19th, 1996, in Timasora, Romania. He was the only child born to his mother, uh, Valeria, and his father. Wait, his mom's name is Valeria? Yep. Like the flu? Uh, V-A-L-E-R-I-A. Hmm. Yeah. Cool no, name. It's kind of a nice name. And his father's name, I'm going to butcher this, and I'm sorry, Voriel, V-I-O-R-E-L. Oof. Yeah, uh, win. I'm giving you the points of that is said correctly. Dude, my fucking Romanian's a touch rusty, but I think it. You know, we'll go with that. Um, so his mother was actually a member of the uh, of the state opera. Oh, which was cool. 
because that was back during, uh, you know, Iron Curtain and all that. So you had, you know, your anything you did was for the state. There was no individual individual. Business. Yeah, exactly. So as he, when he was growing uh, ooh, OK, she was a member of the state opera and having grown up uh, tired of the regime in Romania, she decided to uh, decide at this point in time, it's, it's time to defect. We're going to I'm getting the hell out of here. And uh, while they were on tour in Italy, she defected in 1974. Um, Emil and his dad stayed in Romania for two more years, um, eventually joining her in the United States. The family ended up settling down in, uh, in Pasadena, California. Uh, his father went to work for Gilbert Engineering, and his mother worked as a real estate agent. Kind of weird, right? Yeah, a lot of real estate. Yeah. Like, it seems to be running in a uh, theme here. Um, so Emil went to Pasadena High School. Uh, while he was in school, he was bullied pretty intensely. And it's going to... I Don't take this the wrong way, Seth. Yep. Kind of reminds me of what you've told me, how you were bullied in school, even though you were a fucking giant. Because no. this guy was like... He was I wasn't like, then. I was actually just a fat kid. I've got... Like, my size happened outside of school. No, no, no. But he was like six foot one. And oh, he would so get, yeah, the, he would get the shit picked out of him, yeah. you know? That was the same height as me. So, you know, being bullied and being treated like shit pretty much just turned him into a, like a like a recluse. Um, But the thing is, it, it he had a pretty close-knit group of friends, and none of them really recalled him being bullied at all. So it's probably him just making it up, or he's blowing something out of proportion. Yeah, or maybe he's being bullied at home, and we don't know that. And It could know. happen. Exactly. Like the other guy. Uh, so he, he kind of, he passed through high school, you know, kind of just as, you know, hell yeah, I know that guy, you know, he, nobody really paid any attention to him. He, he was, was just, there, he was a guy. Yeah. If he was there, they knew him. If he wasn't there, like one of those people like, yeah, he was about as exciting as toast. Yeah, exactly. One of those people where you're like, like not good toast, like not even like cool wonder bread, like that stuff that you find like. The package doesn't even say what it is. It just says bread. I've never seen bread in a, in a fucking paper bag before. Pretty much. He was essentially that guy that you went to high school with that out of nowhere, like, would send you a friend request on Facebook. And you're like, oh, yeah, I think I, I think I remember that guy. I'm like, do we go to school together? <laughs> yeah, we, we've all had that before. Not me. I don't have Facebook. Remember, we've gone True. over this. Uh, but mo- most of the people that were asked about him, uh, they remembered him having, you know, being you know a helpful, nice guy. Uh, pretty sociable and he supposedly I guess he had a really good sense of humor um so in uh, in 1982 his mom applied for her state care license so that she could take care of deve- <sighs> so that she could take care of developmentally challenged adults which was a very very lucrative business at the time um again that's kind of an admirable quality to come from another country and the first thing you want to do is take care of what most people see as the trouble cases or right. the, the difficult cases yeah the you you do this i don't want to deal with it yeah yeah but she was bringing in anywhere between thousand and four thousand dollars a month doing this a month a month not including not including her real estate stuff wow that's not a bad chunk of change but after a pretty quick period of time they ended up moving into a new house on sinaloa avenue which is where uh, Valeria began taking care of six male clients. Uh, they named the <laughs> they ended up naming the business Valeria's Villa, just kind of cute, you know, whatever. Um, Emil would he would actually help his mom out with some of the clients. He uh, they were described as high functioning disabled adults. Um, he he was it was also extremely happy that you know Emil was like pumped that the house had a pool. 
Because you got to remember you go from growing up in a communist country where you're eating rock soup for dinner. And now you got a fucking pool. Yeah. You're living in like the best country in the world. Where your old pool was essentially a mud puddle. Yeah. Toxic sludge pit where you turn into a radioactive pig or something. So over the next couple years, uh, Emil would actually kind of start to fall in love with one of his big hobbies, which is motorcycles. I said that weird. Uh, he would fall in love with uh, his one of his bigger hobbies, which was motorcycles. Uh, his bike of choice was a Kawasaki GPZ 550, which I looked into. For back, rocket for back then, pretty badass bike. Really? Yeah. It, I mean, we're not. It's not like it wouldn't have been like a Ducati or anything, but it was no such thing as Ducati then. No, but I mean, like like the the quality equivalent. Like it was. It, it still would have been a, a badass bike. Well, Kawasaki at the time was was the. This is true. That's back when Kawasaki was like the shit for motorcycles. Yeah, you had a Kawasaki, or you just you know, or you had yeah, because you had Kawasaki Honda. I'm trying to think for like the crotch rockety bikes. You had Kawasaki Honda, Suzuki. Suzuki. Yeah, some, like those guys. Um, so he ended up bringing it to a shop and having some modifications done to it to make it faster. Um. A guy named Kenny that was interviewed in 2009 uh, said that uh, Emil wanted a real fast bike, but his skills were not there. He was the type of guy that he, he just he uh, he was the type of guy that did not want to wait for his skills to improve. He just wanted to be fast and have the best bike. So he's one of these guys where I just want cool shit. I don't care if I know how to use it or not. I want it basically status. Yeah, I work with a guy like that. He just seems to buy all these brand new toys and he can barely use them, but it's more just to show off. It's like me if I bought an iPad. <laughs> like, oh, look, what I, I got an iPad. I don't know how to turn it on, but I have one. Um, so Emil enrolled in DeVry University in Pomona, which I thought was only online, but apparently it's an actual school. He uh, he ended up graduating with a three-year degree from an electrical uh, from an electrical engineering program. Uh, 1988, he, um, he had some kind of big, big shit happen to him. Uh, number one is he graduated from DeVry. Uh, his father put in, his father pushed him into pursuing a master's degree, which he didn't really want to do. Uh, there's really nothing saying that his, his, oh, there's also a story saying that his mother threw him a graduation party and nobody showed up for it except for his like old ass neighbor. Well, that's kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah, right. So it kind of makes kind of makes you wonder about all the the people that were like, oh yeah, I was friends with them in high school. Yeah, maybe it's just like after everything happened, they interviewed these people and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I knew him in high school. He was a great guy, and he didn't have any fucking friends actually. Well, yeah, it gets you right on the camera. Yeah, it gets you right out front. Because you have to remember, he was he was a like a, he was an immigrant kid from a, a, a country in Europe, and he probably didn't. Probably spoke very broken English. Yeah, very and, difficult. It was, and this is back when people were like, I don't want to hang out with a weird foreign exchange student, you know. But uh, number two, he actually became a naturalized American citizen, which you know, good for you, kick ass. Number three, he found another hobby, and I want to kind of put this out there. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this hobby because I kind of share it with him, not to the same psychotic extent but he became a gun collector uh fascinated absolutely fascinated with guns like of all sorts pistols rifles shotguns stuff like that um and again there's nothing wrong with owning guns at all all, all of us here do it's as long as you're not being an asshole with them 
That's all that really matters. Guns are a tool meant for a job, not meant as a status symbol. Exactly. And number four, Emil started his own business. Uh, he was actually selling computer parts, um, providing service, like working on PCs for people. Uh, he would even kind of dabbled in writing software, like accounting software and stuff like that. They tried to sell the local businesses. This kind of proved to be a problem because uh, Silicon Valley was only 300 miles north of him. And this is kind of when it started to... We also like, have this other guy that's... Uh, these couple other guys that already were writing a software right. in in California. One named Bill Gates... And then, then this couple other guys that started this company called Apple. Yeah, but like I said, that was that was this all that happened like three hundred miles north of him. So he was kind of like he had nothing for that. Um. So he basically to make any money, he had to sell his stuff at the absolute lowest price that he could. So he was kind of depressed and whatever with that. Now we're gonna get into. Uh, their shenanigans before, like when they started hanging out and being friends. During their travels, they made their way to Littleton, Colorado. On July 20th, 1993, they robbed a, a first bank armored car. Uh, luckily for everybody involved. What's up? Sounds familiar. Yeah. What are you thinking? There's something else that happened there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, six no. years later. Mm-hmm. Same town. Um, yeah, what we're alluding to is that's the town that uh, Columbine happened in, which sucked ass. Um, but they robbed a First Bank armored car, um, and luckily there were no injuries to anybody. They kind of, the, the drivers cooperated with them, did exactly what they were told to do. Nobody got hurt, which is excellent. That's a very good thing. October 23rd, 1993, uh, Phillips and Matasarano were pulled over in a brand new Ford Thunderbird that had uh, that had been rented from an airport, oh. right? Oh. So they, uh, for whatever reason, I don't think they'd actually robbed the gas station, but they just kind of like tore ass out of the parking lot and went flying up the road. Uh, Sergeant Ian Grimes pulled them over and, uh, you know, was just going through his, his thing, you know, license, registration, proof of insurance, all that horse shit. Phillips kind of gave him like a, a bunch of shit about uh about the car belonging to his mom and you know I forgot my license at home this that the other and of course this whole time Officer is in the passenger seat spouting off just being a dickhead too so Officer Grimes orders them out, ordered uh, Phillips out of the car and he uh, he patted him down found a Glock 17 pistol on him oh goodness in California with an extended 30 round magazine which is super fucking illegal in California. Was it illegal at the time? Yes. To have a... Well, it was not necessarily that the pistol itself was illegal, but the act of carrying it concealed was illegal. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Went, no, 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 no. Went they in, wasn't this in no, Colorado? The, the, when they got when they got pulled over, they were back in California. They had landed at the airport. Okay, okay. Yep. I, I was listening so hard that I... Oh, no, no, I, no I worries. Kind of... I, that I didn't really explain that listening part Listening so hard, that sounds dirty. <laughs> I, was, I was listening so intently that... Uh, that I, I knew you said Colorado, and then all of a sudden they got pulled over, and I didn't hear you say the back in California. Hmm. Okay, no worries. So while he's talking to Phillips, he hears a thump in the car. Rut row <laughs> reaches like sticks his head in and he goes, "You get out too." Tells Montesano, he's like, "You get out too. You come over here." 
So the thump was actually the sound of Mata Saranu's Glock hitting the floor in the car because he just dropped it and slid it under the seat instead of a normal person where he would have just, you know, reached under and set it down real quiet like. Mm. Just fucking thump. He was a, I think he was just a giant clumsy fuck, but uh, after disarming both of them, uh, a crew of uh, another couple of police officers showed up and uh, they decided to search the vehicle. Do you have a, a Google thing uh, pulled up on there? Yeah. Okay. I want you guys to be able to see what I'm talking about, like some of the rifles that I'm telling you about. So while they were searching the car, they found a Polytech semi-automatic rifle with a folding stock. So this is essentially, um, it looked kind of like uh, like an M1 uh, carbine where like the, the World War One rifle with the folding metal stock. Mm-hmm. So they found one of those that uh, that belonged to Mata Serrano, a oh, Norinco. A Polytech M14, you said? Yep. Uh, they also found a Norinco Mac 90 semi-automatic rifle, which is a, I'm not going to lie, it's a cheap Chinese-made AK um, with a wooden stock that belonged to Phillips, a Springfield Armory 45 pistol that belonged to Phillips, a Colt 45 pistol that brought, belonged to Mata Serrano, 1,649 rounds of 7.62 by 3.9 ammunition, which would have worked in both rifles. It's a good uh, amount of ammo. Yeah, right. Uh, most of them were loaded into 30 round magazines. There was three Chinese made 75 round drum magazines loaded with the 762 ammo, 967 rounds of nine millimeter hollow, uh, jacketed hollow point ammo, 357 rounds of 45 jacketed hollow point ammo, six smoke bombs, two improvised, two improvised explosive devices, a gas mask, two sets of, uh, what, not two gas masks, only one, just one Weak. <laughs> Two sets of national armor level three uh, level three A vests, which I believe the three A will cover up to like a pistol threat kind of uh, armor. Would have been hard plate, so it would have stopped like anything up to like a forty four, forty five, something like that. It would have been a, a, a rifle a rifle plate. Mm. Um, Dude has a gun store, like more weapons in his trunk than most gun shops around here I know of. Oh, dude, I'm not even done yet. <laughs> What size was this car again? It was a, 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 it was a well, it was a brand new 1993 Ford Thunderbird. Okay, that makes sense. Had, could, a, had a mafia trunk in it. Yeah, I yeah. could fit one of those. Oh, <laughs> t- tell me again, what was that the pistol again of the rifle? That first one, the Poly. Uh, a Polytech semi-automatic. Uh, they also had two 200 channel portable programmable pro. Two 200 channel portable programmable police scanners. So two police scanners. Yep. <laughs> I'll say it with the easy words. Okay, so it's an AKS seven six uh seven six two. Yeah, it's they these guys had an affinity for cheap ass rifles for whatever reason. Well, you know why? They're cheap. They're, cheap. <laughs> they're effective. You get the job done with them. If they jam up or you lose one or one breaks, you throw it away, you buy another one, and they're easy to throw away. And you probably can't trace them. Remind me about that when I get done reading the list here, because I have something I wanted to bring up about that. I will try. Awesome. Scanners had earpieces also. They found four pairs of sunglasses, two pairs of gloves, wigs, ski masks, a stopwatch, two spray cans of gray studio hair color, three different sets of California uh, car plates, and a sum of uh, $1,620. It's like these guys are secret agents. <laughs> I know, right? It's like this fucking trunk was stuffed with shit. Um, the, what I was going to bring up, 
is I actually did a little bit of research, and I'm not sure it might have ended me up on a fucking watch list or something. You already are on one. Let's Probably. Uh, the reason that these idiots chose the, the uh, Norinco, the Chinese-made AKs, somebody on this little forum I was reading actually said that those are easier to illegally convert to semi-automatic. Yeah, you just grind down a pin. Exactly. Then they're easier than like the um, the European like uh, Soviet bloc country ones were because they're those are actually well made. The Chinese ones are dog shit. So needless to say, these guys were like armed to the teeth and absolutely prepared for whatever they could they could come into contact with. Um, October twenty sixth, they were fi- they were charged with uh, conspiracy to commit robbery, grand theft auto, unlawful weapons activity. Uh, carrying a loaded firearm in a car, carrying concealed. Phillips was also charged with uh, felony perjury for uh-huh. giving the cop a bunch of shit and saying, oh, I forgot my license. Blah. Basically, he was lying. he was yeah lying to a police officer. Um, so during the preliminary uh, the preliminary hearing. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I, gotta, I gotta stop you there. Because huh? so wait, they were charged with all that other stuff. I could see the concealed. I can see all that. Yep. Arguing with the cop. Right. How the hell did they did the cop did they know and the cop to charge him because you know somehow, whatever. How'd they know to say okay, well, hey, you guys must be the ones that, you know, we're gonna rob a bank or you guys, you know. Let me let me put you in this situation. You're a cop. You pull some jackass over. You search his car. You find copious amounts of firearms. Firearms and costumes. What do you think this guy's going to do? I'm going to a costume party. Yeah, exactly. That's actually what they told this cop is they were going to a costume party and they had the rifles with them because they went to the range earlier and they were shooting. But still, I I can't argue with the cop for saying for or the judge or whatever for saying uh, we're charging you with with conspiracy to commit robbery. I can't. The writing's on the wall. The writing is legit on the wall right there. No matter what you say, no matter what you think, everything is right there. Yeah, I, I, I. I can't argue with that with that charge, you know. Honestly, because um, even nowadays they'll still do the, still do the same thing. Right. You have multiple weapons loaded, multiple rounds of ammunition. You have body armor. You have costumes. You have intent. You're giving the officers hassle and trouble, and you know you're not supposed to have concealed weapons. And the, let alone have guns that are loaded. And the the three sets of plates. Yeah. That's like, They're, oh, hey, like, we got All that writing is right there on the wall that you're going to be doing something wrong. You're not just going around for a cruise. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. That right there is writing on the wall of something bad will happen at some point in time. Um. So on November 8th, the Grand, uh, the grand Theft Auto and perjury charges were dropped. Um. Because the Grand Theft Auto charges they had to drop because the car was legally rented under Larry Phillips' name. So you can't charge him for stealing something that he no. paid for. Um, and the perjury charges because they're just like, who gives a shit if he was giving a cop a hard time? Look at all this other stuff we've got him on. Yeah. Um. So in December of that same year, Phillips was sentenced to 99 days in prison. Serrano was sentenced to 71 because I'm not sure why. Uh, both also received plea deal. True, good enough. Um, both also received thirty six days of probation after they got out. Uh, so after, yeah, thirty six days. What kind of weird number is that for probation? That's stupid. Um, after completing their sen- sentences, they uh, they essentially went back to work. Uh, uh, that's easy. I want to spend six months in jail, 
And I'll get out. You know, whatever. Yeah, and then have, you know, a month and a half of probation where I'm not supposed to do anything. Maybe you charge carried a certain number of days of proba- probation. That's that's probably true. Um, I, I'm not... I, I think it's fair to say none of us here are lawyers, but... Oh, do you say 36 <laughs> days or 36 weeks? Days. <laughs> it's a month and a week. <laughs> so you're on probation for July and the first week of August. <laughs> that's stupid, but... Um, so July 14th of 1995... The uh, in Los Angeles, California, at around twelve twenty-five p.m., the two robbed an armored car owned by uh, Brinks. Uh, before making their getaway in a dark blue Chevy Cavalier, they uh, they. This is the part that kind of sucks. Is uh, they ambush the car. Uh, Montesoranu essentially tells the driver, "Get the fuck out out of the truck." Um, as he's holding the the driver and the other attendant at gunpoint the guy who is making the the cash pickup is coming around coming out of the building comes around the back corner of the vehicle and larry phillips just lit him up killed zero him. hesitation just instantly killed him didn't even think about it just pff, killed him grabbed the bag of money took off uh what an asshole yeah um the robbery left uh, as we just said uh 51 year old herman dwight cook uh dead he was the the uh, the attendant that was killed. Um, Wait, there's only one. The only one that was killed. The uh, uh, Felipe Cortez, who was one of the other uh, one of the other attendants, was injured. They're saying it was. Uh, they said it was some kind of a laceration on his face. So maybe uh, Mata Serranu dusted him with the uh, rifle or something like that. Him out or something. Yeah. Here's another date for you. Uh, nine at nine thirty three a.m. on March twenty seventh, nineteen ninety six, another Brinks owned armored car was fired at on a street by a pair of would be robbers. That no way of really confirming whether it was Phillips and Montesorano, but it matches up with their mo. It, it matches up with their their way of doing business essentially. Um, so they the the vehicle was actually fired at from a moving car, a maroon Ford Ecoliner, which is a big, like... It's a cargo van. Yeah. If it was white, it would be like a, like a you know, candy van. Mm. You know? You don't go in the candy van. No. But it was maroon, so... Uh, the, the driver was slightly injured by flying glass, um, which a lot of people will say, oh, is that possible? They have bulletproof glass. There's no such thing as bulletproof glass. <clears throat> Bullet resistant. Bullet resistant, yes. And that's, uh, was it, Lexan. It's yeah. like, uh, kind of like a plexiglass. Yep. And uh, a 7.62 round will go through uh, essentially anything. I mean, it's th- like these, these. I know one thing you can't go through. What's that? Hobby holder. <laughs> oh, you plug in bastard. Well done. <laughs> um, Don't chew your hobby holder, folks. But the, uh, the bullet bullet resistant glass is essentially designed for to slow it down and to spider web it. Yeah, so but it's, it absorbs most of the impact and spreads it out because it's a sheet of plastic or basically a glass like material, plastic glass like material, plastic, and it's layered. Right. Thank but you, it, MythBusters. Yes. But it, it's essentially designed to defeat like a, like a pistol caliber. Oh yeah. A, a, a Small seven, round of rifle. Yeah, like, up, up to like a forty four you know handgun, seven six two. Has got an ass load of kinetic energy with it, and it's a heavy round. Well, I mean, plus it's also just, it's not 
It's civilian grade. It's not military grade. What the Lexan or the or the ammunition? The Lexan. Yeah, exactly. The Lexan grade in the those vehicles, I guarantee, is probably a, a civilian grade. It's not military. No. If it's military, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're gonna have to shoot that goddamn thing a lot, right? Before it's going to come well, apart. We, we watch. There's a video of a, a guy that owns a. Um, they make armored vehicles for like. Uh, politicians and stuff like that where the president of the company sits in this he sits in this uh i think it was like a yukon or something like that he's just sitting in the driver's seat and one of his guys steps in front of him with a fully automatic ak-47 and lights him up not like there wasn't even like flex of glass coming through the other side it just it stopped everything dead that's years of testing and practicing and altering whatever you're doing. Can you imagine how badly that guy's shitting his pants going in there and going, I have to shoot at my boss. If I, <laughs> What if this doesn't work? If I'm I nail f- him, I get a raise. <laughs> if I hit him, not only do I go to jail, but I don't have a job anymore. <laughs> so here's where, where stuff really starts to escalate like big time. This is where they move from, I hate to say small time, but this is where they start like... They start picking up business. This is where they start actually going in and robbing banks. May 2nd, 1996, the two make their escalation to robbing banks over the armored cars because they can start making more money robbing banks. They go into uh, a bank owned by Bank of America at Los Angeles's Van Nuys uh, location. Van Nuys. Is it Van Nuys? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go with that then. <laughs> um, Probably one of the... Thank you, Nikki Six. time, largest... Uh, Largest bank in the United States. Yeah, Bank of America was big time back then. Like, I mean, they still are, but they were... Well, pri- privately or... Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, they got, like, being Deutsche and all those, which are... And Wells Fargo. Yeah. Guys like that. Well, yeah. I mean, but you got ones that are, like, are regular people go into them. Yeah. Those are more business. But, like, but Bank of America is, like, you know, everyday people going. Right. Um. So the two stormed into the bank at uh, just sometime before 10 a.m., uh, armed again with automatic weapons. And approximately eight minutes later, they made their getaway with $755,048. Makes sense of time, too, because they just barely opened an hour. Well, that doesn't make any sense either because there's not. Well, no, it kind of does because they, all, all their money is still in there. They've just probably got a delivery. Probably these guys used to do some like heavy duty recon. They would sit. They would sit outside of a bank yeah. for hours at a time every day and watch when the trucks were coming and going, and they, they, so they would know when to hit them. Yeah, because they probably just got a delivery of any cash or didn't have a ca- any cash from the night before taken out mm-hmm. by an armored car. So there's still a lot of funds there. There's overnight deli- overnight deposits. Like you yep. have a bag of your deposits, you drop it in the little thing and. Exactly, and that's already been They're going. counted by ten o'clock, guaranteed probably. That's it's a uh, still a good chunk of change. Absolutely. Um, then on May thirty first at approximately ten o five, Phillips and Matasaranu walked into another Bank of America owned building, and left with seven hundred and ninety four thousand two hundred dollars this time, putting their grand total for the two robberies at one million five hundred forty nine thousand two hundred forty eight dollars. I'd quit. I'd just stop right there, retire. Right? 
Fucking Christ. I mean, you divide it by two. Move to a nice rainy climate. Yeah, it's, it's 775 grand a piece. whiskey and vodka. Yeah, move to Central America and buy a country. No, no, no. <laughs> I said rainy, cloudy weather. Nowhere sunny. True. It's me. I'm talking about me. Now you guys, you guys go to your son. I'm going to where it's rainy. <laughs> but unfortunately with this one, they did leave two bank tellers injured. They weren't shot, but they were like, they got the shit kicked out of them because these guys went in and they were like, these, I'm guessing the tellers weren't necessarily cooperating with them, so they got try to flex up, like yeah. get the hell out of here. Yeah, they got they got slapped around a little bit. Um, they thought that the two million that they thought that two million would be waiting for them, um, but due to some new security measures, because at this point in time, L.A. was like fucking bank robbery central. Like there was banks getting robbed um, three to four times a day in some of these places. Um, well, so, plus heightened. I mean, because shit was just going down in L.A. Right in California at the time. I mean, '90s was just California was a goddamn war zone in the '90s. Yeah, it was a shit se- <clears throat> shit central. Right. I mean, it was just horrible. So they thought. So that, to say, escape from L.A. would be a thing. Yes. Boom. <laughs> Bruce but, Campbell. He's a man. Snake Plissken. No, Bruce Campbell. I know. He was in. It. He's a man. I still have to. I still don't remember him being in that. He was the doctor. The one that was all trying to do the, uh, trying to harvest Snake Plissken's one eye. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, the plastic I get, surgery. I gotta find it. I so, will take your word for it. So, like I said, they they thought that there'd be two million dollars waiting for him, but uh, the new security measures, uh, a significant portion of the money had been collected two days earlier. So the <clears throat> the idea for their eight minute in and out roll that they had was a combination of trying to figure out police response time. Did they watch Point Blank? A oh, Point Break? Nope. It came from that and the fact that these guys were watching almost constantly when they were not robbing banks the 1995 Michael Mann classic Heat. Woo! Henry Rollins! Fucking awesome movie. Have you ever seen it? No. Al Pacino. Watch it Robert for next De Niro. week. I got to... Who else is in there? Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. Henry uh, Rollins Val again. Kilmer. Henry Rollins again. Dude, it was good fucking movie one of the best movies i've ever seen not to date but definitely one of the, my favorite movies like one of those when it must comes to, own when and it must comes watch. to crime movies it is like top five and you get two of the greatest actors ever to live together yeah henry rollins and val kilmer <laughs> i was joking folks we're talking about robert de niro and al pacino get on the same page even though val kilmer was good in it too dude handsome man pretty boy even in, in, in tubby <laughs> form he's still a handsome man but yeah I was I was so fucking thrilled when I found this out because I was like, I get to watch Heat as a reference point. Huh. Oh, hold on, twist my arm. Oh, oh there God, it is. I'm sorry, man. So I went on Netflix and I'm like watching it. I'm like, as I'm watching it, I'm it's... reading through stuff and I'm like, holy shit, this makes so much sense. Like, they they took the um the idea to sew a stopwatch into your forearm or your glove from that movie so you could just look down if you have yep. your gun up you can look down at it exactly you, you, you come in you you know have your rifle up or if you're just wearing like, down your like this hand. and you set your, your stopwatch you can just you can you don't have to move your hand you just glance down okay yeah. we're on time we got it we're getting close we got to hurry up as long as it's on your trigger hand so that way if you're ever coming up and you know if you're getting into a gunfight or if you have to pull up you can automatically look and make sure it's not going to eat up your time exactly but here's here's something where it comes to the, when it comes to the watches this is this will kind of go into show the different levels of preparation that each one of these guys would put you in. Those watches that have the little calculator in them. 
No, no, they were just regular like cheap ass stopwatches. I still want one of those. But not. We're not talking about Apple phone. <laughs> we're not talking about your like iPhone or whatever watch thing. No, we're talking about the old school Timex ones that had the little Casio. tiny buttons. Casio, Casio, Texas Instrument, whatever they were, <laughs> doesn't matter. But here's here's look. here's the difference in preparation between these two guys. Larry Phillips, when he put his watch together on his on his glove or his forearm or wherever he had it, sewed it into the fabric. Emil Matasaranu taped it on. This is going to become a kind of a, a thing with these two when we get into the big time bank robbery. When we start talking about the body armor. One super OCD, like ultra compulsive about it, making yes. sure everything is down to the letter, dot every T. Yep. Cross every I. Exactly. Perfect. Um, I did that on purpose, so you know. But where we're getting up to now is we are getting up to the Dotted big show. February 28th, 1997. Larry Phillips and Emil Matasaranu arrive at the Bank of America-owned bank at 6600 Laurel Canyon Boulevard in a blue 1987 Chevy Celebrity that they had spray-painted white. Side note, my grandmother had a 1988 Chevy Celebrity station wagon that was brown that I smashed my head open on the back of. I, I thought a- you were going to say it was spray-painted purple. Nope. Hey, this one right here, that scar on my eyebrow... On that side, that is from the Chevy logo on the back of it because I was running up my driveway and I tripped over a baseball bat and kissed the trunk and split my head wide open. Um, God, you are the definition of a klutz. Yeah, exactly. Huh, June had one of these too. Okay. So the two exited the car at 9.17 a.m. after getting loaded up on phenobarbital, which is uh, muscle relaxant and uh, that uh, Matasarano had prescribed to him as an anticonvulsant. And they used it's a blood the, thinner. Yeah, they used it to keep themselves calm. It was essentially like taking a Valium. But another fun story: phenobarbital is the same stuff that those whack jobs at Heaven's Gate killed themselves with. That and vodka and apple juice, applesauce. Doesn't matter. We're not talking about that. Nope. We're talking about this. Um, but they they did this to keep themselves calm. Uh, they both walked towards the bank, one armed with a Chinese-made Norinco Type Fifty Six Sportster rifle. And the other had a Norinco Type 56, just the regular Type 56. The difference was one had a uh, a shorter foregrip with a, I'm sorry, a shorter handguard with a foregrip on it. The other was just a stock standard cheap AK. They approached who had the, the Barbie. What's that? Who had the Barbie gun? It doesn't say. You but know, I'm, you know. I'm guessing it was I'm guessing it was Mata Serrano because they he was the gun guy. Oh, I was going to say it was no the other way. way around because yeah. I feel like the one that would want to make sure to have control of the firearm at all times, he's very obsessive, compulsive about everything else. He wants to make sure that the weapon he is using has the best that he can put on it because he does not want failure. The other one's like, I'm a gun nut. I own it. doesn't matter. That's true. When in doubt, I'll throw it at you like yeah, a but, spear. Well, yeah, I, it's I, a I baseball could, bat. <laughs> pretty much. I could see both, though. I mean, because one's a gun nut, one's, no, one's not. One... You know, knows what he wants in the gun. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. But they, they approached the bank with their Chinese AKs wearing full body armor. And as they entered the building, they each fired a salvo of rounds into the ceiling and told everybody, get on the floor right now or we will kill you. So that's where we're going to leave this part off until next week. Stay um, tuned for station identification. I did want to bring Brutal. up. I did want to bring up something with the other two bank robberies that would also be the same with this one. Mm-hmm. When they went in, 
Larry Phillips would stay in the lobby and do crowd control. Emil Matasarano would go to the teller door, which had, um, they called them bandit bar- uh, bandit barriers. So it was essentially a metal door with Lexan on the top, Lexan on the bottom, which would stop your pistol rounds. Mm-hmm. But when you fire 20, 30 AK rounds through it, a 7.62 rounds, you're going to blow it right off the hinges, no problem, and you're in. So he would go in, find whoever was in charge, like bank manager, whatever, and rough them up a little bit, be like, Take me to the vault, fill my bag. I think the reasoning for this is because Mata Serrano was legitimately the smarter of the two. And no, I'm sorry, uh, Phillips was the smarter of the two. And Mata Serrano was essentially the muscle because he was a big motherfucker. Six foot one, 260 pound bodybuilder. You see that guy walking at you, you are going to do whatever he's telling you. Well, also, wouldn't it be because Phillips... I mean, you wouldn't want Maserano talking. You wouldn't want him to talk exactly because, because he would, he's 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 has got a Romanian accent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's he would be easier to identify. Exactly. But you couldn't physically identify these guys because they're going in in all black in ski masks. So you all you see is their eyes. But the other, th- I really think it's because Larry Phillips was the smarter of the two, and he knew how to control people, like with his fucking man robot walking through banks. Um, but that's also, good. you probably could have seen him as disposable, right? Exactly. That if something happens to him out back there, he's like, "Well, I got the easy exit. Yep. I can get out of here. I'll take everything that I can and dump everything else." Exactly. So we're gonna leave it at that for this week, and Ooh, next week we're gonna heavy. come back and probably finish it up. That was. So, I've been working on this one for a long time. <laughs> heavy. But that's that's not even like what I just did here. What we just did here was like a third of the research that I've done for this, because this is where you start getting into a lot of, a lot of things happening at the same exact time. Like you have stuff going on in the bank at the same time where there's stuff going on outside of the bank. And you have to talk about both sides of it to have it all line up and make sense and be cohesive. Um, but we're going to leave it there. We're going to come back next week and we're going to finish this thing up. So hopefully, (laughs) hopefully. Yeah. Um, So again, if you are in the market for some good ass headphones, go over to studio.com S U D I O.com. And you, uh, you find your headphones, put them in your cart. When you buy them, put in dark windows at the promo code, get 15% off because we love you people. And if you want to get $2 off of a hobby holder, where you go, you tell me. Oh, I thought you were going to do them all. I was going <laughs> to let you. I was like, let's see what happens here. You head over to GameMV.net. I already said all the fun stuff in the beginning, folks. So if you weren't paying attention, that's on you. And you can pick out some sweet, sweet, delicious hobby tools. And then go to checkout. You put in that promo code BROADSTONE at checkout. And you'll save yourself some money. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to keep it short <laughs> and sweet. Because you hit this out of the park. I'm leaving it alone. And I'm worried about next week. I, I'm not I super know, worried, I, but it's going to be... The, uh, I know the end of the story, but knowing more of the backstory of the main story... That's, that's why mostly I just shut the hell up and was like, <laughs> I'm going to listen because I remember seeing this on TV, you know, being a 17-year-old. I was like, holy shit, watching the TV in the morning, you know, before going to school or in the afternoon because, you know, I mean, that's what you did. You know, because this was close to, 
Iraq War One or whatever. It was a, this was after that. This was ninety seven. Yeah. So you you know CNN was big and you got listening all that. Yeah. Watching all that stuff. I mean, so you kind of pay attention to it. And I mean, I was like, holy shit, two fucking wackos just you know lit the fuck up on a police. That's crazy. And I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have some sound clips inserted in the next one um, of the police radio chatter outside because some of it is absolutely. Like it's it's gutting to listen to some of the stuff that these guys are going through, where they're just like, these are just cops that showed up to do their job, and the next thing they know, they're in a fucking war zone. You know, yeah. To think that two guys can legitimately out arm and out fight an entire huge police department is incredible to me. Well, I know we're going to talk about it next week, but you got to think about it like what we've talked about off air. Those cops had what, poppy revolvers and shotguns. They were they were saying uh, some of them maybe had Glocks and then these guys are rolling in with fully automatic weapons, homemade body armor. Homemade body armor. They had a plan, they had initiative, they knew what they were doing. These guys were showing up thinking Oh, it's just probably some dirtbag with a pistol yeah, or Yeah, that's what, a exactly. They're thinking some maybe, jackass with a pistol. Maybe a hunting rifle, not two people that literally have been studying and researching and planning and doing all this homework. Right. That they I guarantee they're even now you no one had no one had the training then for no. the, ready for this. Uh one of one of the numbers I saw, I'm not sure if it's 100% true, but I'll I'll go into it a little bit more next week too. Um, we're only about a third of the police that showed up to do this had what would be considered an automatic pistol, like a Glock where you don't have, where it's not a revolver or something like that. Only about a third of them had those. The rest of these guys were showing up with pump action, 12 gauge shotguns and service revolvers, 38 service revolvers. Oh yeah. Cause they hadn't, they, they hadn't completely switched over yet. Yeah. Um, a service revolver was, was the standard issue forever. For, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I've listened to some other other shows that have covered this topic and they've done a really good job of it. I just, for me, I wanted to go into the background of these guys to see what made them tick, why they were the way they were. Well, I didn't yeah, wanna... I, no, I didn't know about the guy that came from two parents that were dirtbags. Yeah. And I knew the other guy, they said that, I think he said he was of Romanian descent, but never knew really anything more about him. Right. So it's kind of interesting and it lets you set the... Gives you the setting of what happened and why they were doing it and who they were more on a human sense rather than two mindless dirtbags right. that, for all intents and purposes, you thought they were just robbing a bank and then decided to shoot up everybody. Now, one of the shows I listen to, they do about an hour-long episode on it where they just mostly focus on the robbery itself. What I like is they don't give these assholes any credit. They don't mention Larry Phillips' name once, and they don't mention Emil Mataserano's name once either. They just call them the suspects. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because if shit like that happened more frequently, when there's like uh, like school shootings where you're not giving the person that is doing this any credit, you would see less of them. Because you would see less copycats of this bullshit where people can go, I can get my name in the news. If you just say a suspect, you don't put their picture up, you don't say their name, fuck them, they get no credit for what they did. Also I, that's them, how I feel about it, at least. Well, also, it helps to kind of forget those people. Yep. Try not to remember their names. Because like, I can honestly tell you, I don't remember. I didn't remember their names until you said them. Because a lot of times it's just suspect A, suspect B, and that's it. Where if you give them names, people are going to research them, and then there's... 
it brings back those bad memories of right. people who lost their life and those one the people who lost loved ones. And I, I will I will apologize in advance for next week. There is going to be a lot of different names, so if I confuse people, I am super sorry. But there was so many officers that were involved in this, plus these two guys, that I wanted to. The give... officers deserve to be remembered. Exactly, like these guys are fucking heroes. Because who knows what these what these guys would have done if these if the cops hadn't shown up in time? Who knows if they would have just said. Well, we didn't get as much money as we wanted out of this. Uh, empty your pockets. Oh, you're not going to? Okay, we'll just kill everybody in this bank then. Things happen, man. Escalation is you know? a natural course of action. So I want to. I definitely want to be able to give these police officers the credit that they deserve and earned for what they did with this because it it took balls to stand up to these guys, you know. Yeah. But that's all I got for now. Yeah. So if uh, <laughs> if you like what you hear. And you want to hear more, you can uh, go check us out on pretty much most every, everything. Yep. Wherever you get your podcast, we there. Yeah, pretty much almost everything. You know, there's a few that we're not on, but you right. can check us out, uh, Dark Windows Podcast. And if you want to chat with us, check out, uh, we're on Instagram at Dark Windows Pod, Twitter at Dark Windows Pod. You can also find us on Facebook. Dark Windows Podcast on Facebook. We, uh... We're pretty. I'm. I'm. We're we're pretty active on there. Um, I like post goofy shit that's related to the show and stuff like that. Um, Most importantly, rate review. Rate review. Subscribe. Yeah. Tell, tell Send friends. Us an email. What's yeah. our email address? Our so they email, can email address. Stuff? Our email address is darkwindowspod at gmail dot com. Yeah. Tell a friend about the show. Tell a family member about the show. Tell somebody you don't even like about the show. Yeah. You don't. You don't have to be friends with them. Have them listen to it. It's fine. Well, maybe they'll like him. You might not like exactly. it. You might have tried it once and be like, eh, not for me, but you would like this. <laughs> I love how that's become like a running joke. I don't care. I love it. Three stars. Tried it once, one again. <laughs> I'm, I totally want to do that as a t-shirt. That'd be excellent. But just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. Love you, kisses. Later. Bye. So, ladies and gentlemen, I am butting in here for a quick second to let everybody know, guess what? We have the winner of the very first, the inaugural, hopefully not the one time only, Broadstone underscore creations giveaway. Invitational classic. Ooh, invitational <laughs> classic because Makes everyone, it sound like a golf tournament. <laughs> everyone was invited. And our wonderful winner who gets to win his very own hobby holder setup is... Mr. At Seven Sam with two M's, 40K, a.k.a. Sam. Congratulations, Sam. So you, sir, get to win yourself your very own hobby holder setup, base and handle in the colors of your choice. I'll be contacting you. Hopefully, if you, if you haven't already gotten back to me, I'll keep contacting you and hook you up with that sweet code. 